to PwC IFS Talks, your source for all things IFRS. I'm your host, Rahaza Sheikh. Today's topic is on the much-anticipated exposure drafts which were published by the International Sustainability Standards Board, also referred to as the ISSB. These exposure drafts were actually released um, on the 31st of March, so very hot press indeed. And today I have two guests joining me to talk to our listeners about what the exposure drafts entails. I'd like to welcome Scott Bandura, a partner who sits within PwC's Global Accounting Consulting Services team, and Marco Sullivan, the Head of Corporate Reporting in the UK. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. So a bit of a background. The ISSB published two exposure drafts recently. This consists of IFRS S1, the General Requirements for Disclosure of Sustainability-Related Financial Information, which Scott will walk us through, and IFRS S2, Climate-Related Disclosures, which Mark will walk us through. These are updates to the prototypes that were issued in November 2021, refining concepts and disclosure requirements. A comparison to the initial prototypes has also been published by the ISSB, which might be useful for those who previously analysed the prototype standards, um, and we can include a link to the comparison in the talking points that accompany this podcast. So before we go into the details of each of the exposure drafts, Scott, can you maybe remind our listeners on who the ISSB are and what their objectives are? Sure. Well, the uh, ISSB was created by amending the uh, IFRS Foundation's constitution to incorporate a new board um, uh, setting out, uh, you know, an international sustainability standards board, which would develop these uh, sustainability-related disclosures. And and really, the objective of that is to come up with a global baseline for these sustainability-related disclosures. Um, they've established the, the board. It's still being worked on. All, all the board members have not been appointed, but the, the chair, Emmanuel Faber, who, who was the former CEO of Danone, um, was appointed. The vice chair, uh, who's Sue Lloyd, formerly the, the vice chair of the ISB, and also a special advisor, Janine Gilio, uh, the former CEO of the the SASB or, or Value Reporting Foundation. So those those positions have been filled, um, but more board members are expected to be appointed over the the coming months. And you know, I I, I just point out that um, as well as the two exposure drafts that that have uh, been issued, the aim is also to incorporate the SASB standards into the um, the initial standards that are published by the ISSB. So if you think about it, the um, 77 SASB standards plus these two exposure drafts really mean that there are potentially 79 documents that uh, somebody could uh, comment on. If we think about the uh, the climate-related exposure draft, which uh, Mark will comment more on, but the SASB standards there are the, the source of the industry-based requirements, um, and these would become a required component of the, the climate standard. And then in terms of the general standards, the exposure draft proposes that entities provide material information on all of the significant sustainability-related risk and opportunities necessary to assess enterprise value, and in the absence of specific IFRS sustainability disclosure requirements, the ED would require that companies consider the SASB standards to identify sustainability-related risk and opportunities and develop appropriate disclosures. And so this enables the sustainability disclosure standards to make use of the, the range of related risk and opportunities from inception with the status of implementation guidance. 
So just remember that it's not only the two exposure drafts, you also have to consider the SASB standards. And also um, there are some SASB standards in progress, which would also then be incorporated into the, the final sort of ISSB standards. So there's also the potential to comment on those SASB standards that are in, in an exposure draft stage. Thanks, Scott. So very much an evolving area with lots to come. So let's maybe start with the first exposure graph, which focuses on the general requirements of sustainability-related financial information. Scott, can you maybe summarize what the board intends to capture in this exposure draft? You know, how, how is this ED different from financial reporting standard, for example? Sure. Well, I, I mean, if we compare it to IFRS, I, I like to think of the, the first standard as an, a, a bit of an amalgam of the conceptual framework, the IS1 presentation standard, and the IS8 uh, accounting policies changes and changes in estimates and error standards. Uh, it, it does have a bit more teeth, at least initially, because it acts as a bit of a catch-all before the thematic standards are introduced. As mentioned, we have the, the thematic standard for climate, which Mark is going to talk more about, but that's the only thematic standard right now. So proposals in the general exposure draft would require an entity to disclose material information about all of the significant sustainability-related risk and opportunities to which it is exposed. And the proposals include requirements and guidance to support the disclosure of material information about significant sustainability-related risks not addressed by an IFRS sustainability disclosure standard. So not addressed by a thematic standard. And there's a bit of a hierarchy set out when such thematic standards don't exist to identify um, how to how to actually make these disclosures. So entities are directed to consider other sources that include the industry-based standards, which I mentioned, the SASB standards, the International Sustainability Standards Board non-mandatory guidance, such as the CDSB framework and uh, application for guidance for water and biodiversity-related disclosures. The most recent pronouncements of other standard setting bodies whose requirements are designed to meet the needs of users of general purpose financial reporting or sustainability related reporting and the sustainability related risk and opportunities identified by entities that operate in the same industries or geographies. Thanks, Scott. And I guess linking back to to your point around, you know, um, links with IS1 and IS8, there are some areas in the general requirements ED that actually link back to some of the conceptual elements that exist in IFRS standards. So one example is materiality, you know, there's also reporting entity boundary and other connected information. Beginning with materiality, what factors align to the existing interpretation under IFRS? Well, the way materiality is discussed, it's it's noted that materiality considers information necessary for users of general purpose financial reporting to assess enterprise value. So on that note, I would say it's broadly meant to be aligned with the definition in the ISB's conceptual framework for general purpose financial reporting and IS1, uh, which is the uh, the presentation standard under IFRS. So it's noted that information is material if omitting, misstating, or obscuring that information could reasonably be expected to influence decisions that the primary users of general purpose financial reporting make on the basis of that reporting, which provides information about a specific reporting entity. But the ISSB also notes that material materiality judgments will vary because of the nature of sustainability-related financial information being different to information included in the financial statements. And whether information is material also needs to be assessed in relation to 
enterprise value. And because things are evolving so rapidly, sustainability-related financial information may change from one period to another as circumstances and assumptions change and expectations from primary users of the information change. And I think because expectations from investors are still developing in this area, probably more so than in the financial reporting space, uh, it's probably more of a significant issue for sustainability-related information that perhaps information that wasn't material in, in prior periods now now becomes material. So it's sort of a continuous judgment. Thanks, Scott. That's helpful. And so I guess, what are the factors that differ in the ED? You know, maybe perhaps where there may be more guidance. Well, I mean, as I mentioned, the general standard is a bit of a catch-all before more specific standards are developed. And so this is probably a bit more relevant in the context of sustainability information than IFRS because IFRS obviously has evolved over many years and is much more has many more standards that are specific for different transactions, for example. Um, I would say that um, there's much more information within the general standard about how a company develops and manages risk compared to perhaps IFRS. So the standard requires more, or the exposure draft would require more disclosure about governance. So the governance process, controls, and procedures that the entity uses to monitor and manage sustainability-related risk and opportunities, the strategy of the entity, so the approach for addressing sustainability-related risk and opportunities that could impact the business model and strategy over the short, medium, and long term, risk management, so the processes the entity uses to identify, assess, and manage sustainability-related risks, and then metrics and targets, so information used to assess, manage, and monitor performance in relation to sustainability, sustainability-related risk and opportunities over time. And what are perhaps some of the general features that the standard is aiming to address? Well, I think one of the, the key areas here is, is connected information. So the linkage between sustainability-related risk and opportunities and information included in the financial statements. So the an entity would need to provide information that enables users of general purpose financial reporting to assess the connections between the sustainability-related risk and opportunities and to assess how information about these risks and opportunities is linked to information in the general purpose financial statement. So, for example, to allow users of general purpose financial reporting to assess connections and information, an entity might need to explain the effect of its strategy on its financial statements or financial plans, metrics and targets, etc., um, used to measure progress against performance. And the entity might need to explain, for example, how its use of natural resources and changes within its supply chain could amplify, change, or reduce its uh, sustainability-related risk and opportunities. So linking this information to the potential or actual effect on things like production costs, its strategic response to manage such risk and its related investment in new assets. And it may also be, need to be linked to information in the financial statements and to specific metrics and targets that describe those connections. And I mean, I think it's also important that that be clear in the disclosure, but also obviously uh, balancing the, the need to be concise and, and, and provide relevant information. Thanks, Scott. So that's a really helpful summary, just a little bit 
on the background of the ED and what it's aiming to address. And there are other there are other guidances that are also available. You know, for example, the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures, so the TCFD, or the EU's proposed European Sustainability Reporting Standards, the the ESRAs. You know, how does this exposure draft align with with those guidances available? Well, certainly the TCFD forms sort of a, a key part, I think, of the ISSB standards, and, and they drew heavily upon that. There's also recently been an, an MOU, a sort of a memorandum of understanding signed with GRI, the Global Reporting Initiative. So although GRI will, will still continue to exist apart, you know, separately from the, uh, the ISSB and hasn't been consolidated like the Value Reporting Foundation, uh, which is made up of, of, you know, the SASB, et cetera, the GRI will still operate independently, but it, they've agreed to work together and try to um, align where possible some of those standards. I would say that EU standards have not yet been issued for public comment, but it seems, you know, from what we've seen so far based on what they've said to date, there there is some divergence potentially in, in those EU standards from what the ISSB is proposing. I'm sure this will be something that EU companies and stakeholders will definitely be focused on when they have the opportunity to formally respond. And, you know, it's very early stages in the EU standards, so there'll be lots of opportunity for, for further discussion on that. Sure. So, something for our listeners to look out for in the in the future. And Scott, I understand you recently met the ISSB in Montreal. What are some of your reflections of that meeting? So I, I went to a meeting in Montreal last week because the ISSB office is being established there and had the privilege to hear from Emmanuel Faber from the ISSB, Erki Lincoln from the trustees and, and Janine Guillaume as special advisor. And I think they're all very inspirational speakers. And it was great to hear their enthusiasm and ambitions for a global baseline to be established. And I think they're really keen to get feedback from a wide range of stakeholders to make these standards fit for purpose. So, uh, you know, I would say, you know, if you do have an interest in the exposure drafts, I, I do think they welcome your feedback and that they're trying to make these, you know, uh, really suitable as a global baseline and incorporating as much uh, stakeholder feedback as they can. So I think that's, you know, a great opportunity for everyone to to comment on these standards before they before they're issued. Thanks, Scott. I very much appreciate your your insight on the exposure draft and your personal reflections on it too. So moving on to the second exposure draft, which focuses on climate-related disclosures. Mark, can I bring you in to maybe su- summarise what the objectives are? Yes, certainly. So, uh, thanks. So the, the exposure draft sets out, I suppose, the proposed objective for entities to disclose information about its exposure to climate-related risks and opportunities, thereby sort of enabling users of an entity's general purpose financial reporting to you know, firstly assess the effects of climate-related risks and opportunities on the entity's enterprise value, and, and, and that's a, a key phrase. Secondly, to sort of understand how its use of resources and the corresponding inputs, activities, outputs, and outcomes support the entity's response to and strategy for managing those climate-related risks and opportunities. And then finally, to, to be able to evaluate an entity's ability to adapt its planning, its business model, its strategy, and its operations to 
the climate related risks and opportunities um, it's identified. Thanks Mark. So there's a common phrase there where we're referring to climate related risks and opportunities. So what, what are the types of climate related risks and opportunities that are captured in this exposure draft? You're right, I, I, I'm not sure how many times I mentioned that <laughs> phrase. Um, yeah, I, I, in all honesty, I don't think we, in, within this pod, podcast I've got time to go into to, to the specifics about, about the risk, but at a high level, the, the exposure draft is asking companies to identify, in the use of the phrase, the significant climate-related risks and opportunities that could reasonably ex be expected to affect an entity's business models is key business model strategy cash flow and access to finance and its cost of capital over the short medium and, and long term so it's quite all-encompassing it categorizes um, climate related risks and opportunities as does the tcfd so the, the well-recognized phrases as both physical risks so for example extreme weather events rising temperatures and transitional risks those such as regulatory, technological, or reputational risks. More specifically, the exposure draft then asks companies to provide information to support each risk, such as the, the time horizon over which each risk could reasonably be expected to impact the business, how it defines short, medium, and long-term, because clearly that will differ by industry or, or potentially organization, how it is responding to each of those risks what are the transition plans it has in place what are its climate related targets um, and i suppose just as importantly what's the resilience of the business to the risks and opportunities i suppose supported by its assessment of or use of or outcome of a variety of different scenario analysis that it might run thanks mark and so, I mean, one of the points that Scott mentioned earlier was how the exposure draft encompasses the structure of the TCFD framework. From a content perspective, how does this second ED compare to that framework? You're right. I mean, both EDs are structured around the sort of four pillars of, of the TCFD framework, so governance, strategy, risks, opportunities, metrics, and targets. And the content of, of the climate-related um, exposure draft is broadly consistent with the TCFD framework itself. In, it, indeed, the IWSB has pulled together a very helpful document comparing the two, just so you can sort of like a snapshot um, that allows you very easily to see where the differences are. And whilst it is broadly consistent, there are a couple of areas where it does differ. First and foremost, it emphasizes the importance of certain aspects of the TCFD supporting guidance. So whilst the TCFD framework is, is sort of has its four pillars and 11 recommendations, it is supported by quite a substantial amount of guidance. And, and what the ED has done is pull out some of those, those aspects of the guidance and, and sort of made them more front and center when we think about the reporting standard itself. There are also certain aspects where the ED goes further than the framework itself does. These include requiring more disclosure around carbon offsets. So in, a, in a, an organization's attempt to get to net zero, it may need to purchase carbon offsets to achieve its ambition. So more disclosure around that. Additional insights 
around scenario analysis and the resilience of, of, of the business. And I mentioned earlier, the resilience of the business to adjust or adapt its strategy over time and how that how the scenario analysis is conducted. Scott mentioned earlier, and, and we'll touch on shortly, there is more of a requirement around industry-based metrics driven by the work of, of SASB. Scope three emissions are required and there is more analysis required around scope one and scope two emissions. And with a growing focus from the investor community on, on Paris aligned reporting, there is also the requirement for an organization to explain how its targets, its climate related targets and its scenarios compare with the latest international agreements on climate change, which is something again, different to where the TCFD is at the moment. Thanks, Mark. And you mentioned that the ISSB have pulled together the helpful document comparing the ED with the TCFD recommendations. That's something that we can link uh, to in the talking points that accompany this podcast as well. And coming back to the point you mentioned around um, existing SASB industry metrics, what can preparers expect from those additional disclosure requirements? Yeah, as Scott um, I quite rightly pointed out, and, and, and often it's, it's easy to forget, we're not just talking about two new EDs here. There are a substantial, you know, over 70 new sort of SASB standards that are directly referred to within within the ED and are incorporated into it. And it's a completely new focus for organisations when you think of existing financial reporting sort of industry agnostic requirements. And there's a, there's a relevance to that here. You know, climate change is impact, impacting different organisations in different sectors in different ways. And so the ED is encouraging or requiring or will at the moment requiring companies to, to assess what industry they fall in. And this could be more than one. And then subsequently disclose the identified metrics within each of those different industry standards. So the key element here for, for me, I suppose, is for organisations to get on the front foot here within the comment period and assess whether you know the proposed metrics are actually relevant for their industry and, and sort of engage in that de- debate. And there is a specific question within the ED, question 11, that they may like to focus attention on because of the specificity that this um, requirement lends itself when it comes to industry specific metrics. Thanks Mark. And so for for our listeners, could you perhaps expand a little bit more on your what your personal reflections are on this exposure draft? Yeah, it's still early days. There's a lot to digest and I suppose some of my my sort of early reflections are are driven by my or our experiences here in the UK, because of course we're going through the first reporting cycle where TCFD disclosure is mandated. And it's interesting to see that a number of the areas that where the ED has, has placed further emphasis or looked for more disclosure, as I mentioned earlier, around carbon offsets and transition plans, scenario analysis, financial quantified information, are all the areas that companies in the UK have been grappling with. And what's interesting when when I reflect on on the UK experience, when I look at the first sort of batch of of report December year end reporters, about fifty percent of them have reported that they've got more work to do, and predict, especially in the areas I've just mentioned. So there is a question, sort of hanging over the standard as it is at the moment, about how quickly companies can report against it in its in its totality and and therefore how companies 
whether there will be a requirement to comply against the standard and therefore what that will look like because there's a substantial about there's a su substantial amount of information that will be required for companies to report on and therefore a substantial amount of work that they will need to have to have gone through in order to report that information so that's that's one aspect another thing is around proportionality and i think what is key is that companies approach the climate standard with the right mindset and that is having a clear understanding of of the context and the requirements included within uh, the eds1 because i think the importance of connectivity the importance of, of a pro, uh, the right mindset will lead companies to provide a proportional amount of information based on their assessment of risk and how important climate change actually is, is to their organ, organization. Some of the other reflections I think that worth just sort of briefly touching on, I think there will be an ongoing debate about how the ED sits with other developments, both in the US and the EU and elsewhere. And I think it will be important for, for the IWSB to be clear about where the similarities and differences lie. I think there will be a debate around the assurability of the information. We're already seeing a lot of pressure from investors and others about for companies to get some of this information assured. And I think the debate will need to be had about actually how much of the information in these standards is assurable in the current guide and what more needs to be done. And I suppose how these standards will play out over time and how they will all fit together when we think about the climate change one being being the sort of first of a few how does it all sit together so that organizations report the right level information at the right time so there's just a, just some early reflections as, as as we begin to reflect more on on the ed thanks very much mark very, very insightful and i'm sure our listeners will appreciate your personal reflections on on the exposure draft and the direction it's heading so perhaps um, we can wrap up. Um, I think it's probably useful just to understand what the next steps are. Scott, can I bring you in to maybe just uh, explain to our users what to expect next? Sure, sure. So, uh, I mean, the comment deadline for the exposure drafts is uh, the 29th of July. 2022 obviously so you know there's not a, a a huge amount of time to 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 respond so i think it is important to start the process early if, if your organization does intend to to respond after they uh the comment period closes the board does intend to move quite quickly we understand so the aim would be to have new standards hopefully by the end of 2022. In terms of how to respond, the ISSB have included an online survey to increase efficiency in responding. And I think it's important to note as well that you don't necessarily need to address all of the questions. You can just respond to ones that you think are most relevant to, to you. I, I think, yeah, as I mentioned previously, engagement is key to help increase the quality and usefulness of the standards. And uh, just again, a reminder that the SASB standards are being incorporated. So I think it's important at a minimum um, to look at those ones that are aligned with the industries in which you operate. Thanks, Scott. This highlights the importance of these exposure drafts, given the upcoming deadline to respond and the intention to issue standards by the end of the year. I hope our listeners found these insights as useful as I did. Once again, thank you very much to both Mark and Scott for joining me and sharing your views and personal reflections on the exposure draft. Thank you all for listening and until next time, stay safe and happy accounting. 
preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.